Please turn to the scriptures. Today we're going to consider rejoicing in the Lord and our passage is Philippians chapter 3 verses 1 through to 6. Reading from verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Therefore, I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he have whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. For nearly three months, we've been studying Philippians on Sunday mornings. Last week, we should have started looking at chapter three, but I jumped ahead a little bit because I wanted to consider with you a passage in chapter four with application to the present coronavirus pandemic, which is gripping the world. The gist of what we looked at last week was that whatever your lot, if you are a Christian, you are to be anxious for nothing. Now, as we enter chapter three, we shall have a closer look at rejoicing in the Lord. Look again at verse one. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. When you see the word finally, you'd be forgiven for thinking that the apostle was bringing his letter to a close, but clearly he wasn't. After all, as you can see, he was only about halfway through writing it. The Greek word that has been translated finally at the beginning of verse 1 would perhaps have been better translated furthermore. What follows after that word finally is a continuation of what Paul was saying earlier about the adversaries or opponents of the church. For example, in chapter 1, verse 27 through to 30, he encouraged the Philippian Christians to stand fast and not to be afraid of their adversaries when he said, looking at chapter 1, verse 27, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you, or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, 
not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which he saw in me, and now here to be in me. Now in chapter 3 and verse 1, we see that instead of being afraid of their adversaries, the dear brethren were being urged to rejoice in the Lord. Those of you who listened to last week's sermon on chapter 4, verses 4 through to 8, will already know that the Apostle Paul was very keen to encourage Christians to rejoice in the Lord. Just look again at chapter 4 and verse 4. Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. How is it possible to rejoice in the Lord when you are being assailed by the enemies of Christ? Before I answer that question, let me remind you that as was seen last week in chapter 4, the peace that Christians have is no ordinary peace. For one thing, it is a peace that is not of this world. In chapter 4 and verse 7, it is described as the peace of God which passes all understanding. Similarly, Christian joy is not of this world. It is a heavenly joy. For example, in John chapter 17 and verse 13, the Lord Jesus Christ prayed to his Father, And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they, they being his apostles, might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. As such, the Son of God gave his joy to his apostles. And since it is a heavenly joy, a joy that comes from the incarnate Son of God, you can be sure that there's more than enough of it for all who belong to Jesus. For example, in Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas proclaimed the gospel to the Gentiles who were in Antioch, and all who were ordained to eternal life believed. Consequently, the unbelieving Jews caused problems, which resulted in Paul and Barnabas being thrown out of that region. Even so, verse 52 tells us that those new disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Dear Christian, take ownership of those words. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Even when things don't seem to be going too well for you, it doesn't alter the fact that you have have received the joy of your great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Therefore, Continue to rejoice in that your name is written in heaven and do so with thanksgiving in your heart. In Psalm 23, King David said, My cup runneth over. You, dear Christian, are also filled to overflowing with every spiritual blessing and that includes the joy of the Lord. Let us also remember that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace and so on. As such, that grace of God called joy can be seen to be fruit. What that means is that God, 
as the vine dresser, puts his knife to all us who are branches in Christ Jesus, the true vine, and he prunes us so that we might bring forth more fruit. That is inevitably going to hurt at the time, but we thank God that we are being purged and sanctified through the use of his knife, because he is graciously making us more fruitful in the difficult times such as now, and the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ is being fulfilled in each one of us. Therefore, if you are a Christian, even during this pandemic and lockdown, you can and you ought to rejoice in the Lord. That's not an order, but it ought to be the reality, if indeed the Spirit of Christ worketh in you. I'm greatly encouraged to say that from what I have observed over the past week, Grace Baptist Church Peel is continuing to have fellowship with one another, albeit over the internet, and people are continuing to rejoice in the Lord, and praise God for that. Looking now at verse 2. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. Jews used to refer to Gentiles as dogs, not like the pampered pooches that inhabit many homes on this island, but more like the stray, rabid, feral and mangy dogs that I used to see roaming the streets when I lived in India. The Gentiles were called dogs because of what was seen to be their moral impurity. However, in this verse, Paul, who was himself a converted Jew, threw that description back in the faces of the Judaizers, people who were Jews who professed faith in Jesus, but who taught that it is necessary to adopt Jewish customs and practices, especially those found in the law of Moses, to be saved. If you think that Paul was being a tad harsh by calling them dogs, in Acts chapter 20 verse 29 he called them grievous wolves. Paul also described them as evil workers in verse 2. They really were evil workers in that they sought to justify themselves before God and not just themselves but all whom they applied pressure upon through works of the law such as circumcision of the flesh and many and much more besides. However, the Bible makes it very clear that it is by grace that we are saved, through faith, not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, and that means that there will be no boasting in heaven. There will be no one boasting um, and to each other, to someone else, about how he deserved to be in heaven because he was so very obedient to God's law. It simply will not happen. By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in God's sight. Our acceptance before God is in his beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to trust in him and his life of perfect obedience to the law, his sacrificial death at the cross, his resurrection from the dead, and his ascension to heavenly glory. Last of all, in verse 2, the apostle said, Beware of the circ, sorry, not the circumcision, 
Beware of the concision, where concision means mutilation. By calling them the mutilation, Paul was in a very contemptuous way making reference to the physical circumcision of those Judaizers. Even though circumcision of the flesh was an ordinance of God in the Old Testament, it avails nothing under the terms of the new covenant of which the Lord Jesus Christ is mediator. As it is written in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 15, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. In verse 2, the Apostle Paul didn't pull any punches when he described the Judaizers as dogs, evil workers and mutilators. And that is a very fitting description of anyone, even today, who seeks to add works of the law to salvation by grace alone through faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. As the hymn writer rightly said, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Nowadays, it's not likely that you will be pursued by people who will seek to persuade you that you need to be circumcised in the flesh in order to be saved. But you can be sure that there are nevertheless many professing Christians who have in effect nullified the grace of God by adding works of the law as being necessary for salvation. And then there are many other professing Christians who see the grace of God as a license to sin and do whatever they want to. Paul had the following words for those people, those antinomians. In Romans chapter 6 verses 1 to 2 he said, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid or certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? When you think about it, why would anyone whom the incarnate Son of God was wounded and bruised for when he was nailed to the cross and when he laid down his life, even think to continue in sin so that the grace of God may abound? Professing Christians who insist on adding works of the law to God's grace in order to be saved, and antinomians who use God's grace as a license to do whatever they want, demonstrate that they do not understand the law. For one thing, the law gives knowledge of sin, and it leads us in repentance to the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's a good thing, or else it condemns us, as hell-deserving hell sinners. Also, after a person has been saved by the grace of God and he is no longer under condemnation, that uh, sinner saved by grace doesn't just do what he wants. The law reveals to him what is pleasing to God. As born-again born children of God, the law enlightens us 
as to what is pleasing to our Father, whom we seek to serve and to glorify. Let's look now at verses 3 through to 6. I'll read those verses again for you. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he have whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Having called the Judaizers the circum, the, the, the concision or the mutilation, the apostle declared himself a converted Jew and those Gentile Christians, the Philippian Christians, to be the true circumcision. But he wasn't referring to circumcision of the flesh, even though as a Jew, he had been circumcised when he was just eight days old. He was referring to spiritual circumcision, circumcision of the heart. As he said in Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Therefore the heart is the seat of true religion, and a true Christian is a Christian in heart. This isn't simply a New Testament idea either. It's clearly taught in the Old Testament. For example, in Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 16, the Lord said to Israel, Therefore circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. And in Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 4, the Lord said, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your hearts, you men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. Having a circumcised heart means having an internal work of grace upon your soul. It means not only having an outward name, but an inward nature. It means not just having the law of God in your Bible or on a phone app, but it means having it written in your heart. It means having the Lord Jesus Christ dwelling in your heart by faith. It means worshipping God in spirit and in truth. In other words, it means being a born-again Christian and being a new creature in Christ. Finally, as you isolate yourselves in lockdown in your homes during this coronavirus pandemic and you meet for worship over the internet, 
you nevertheless can and must continue to rejoice in the Lord as you consider him who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen.